Hi, I'm Hannah Durden and you're listening to the Outdoors Group podcast. This podcast is a call to arms to get children and young people outside again. It's your one-stop shop for all things outdoor, child, young person and education related. Thanks for tuning in. Today I'm very happy to be sitting down with Craig Vincent, our Head of Teaching and Learning at the Outdoor School. He's joined to talk to me about our unique outdoor curriculum that we use and exactly how it works in practice. Our model for education is one that is constructivist, experiential and uses project-based learning as a model of delivery. I'm hoping, Craig, that you're going to help us unpack what that means in practice and give us some insight as to why it works. So thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's jump into the deep end and address some of those terms I just mentioned. So what do we mean when we're talking about a constructivist approach to education? Like in layman's terms, what is constructivism? So uh, I try to keep it as simple as I can. And if I drift into too much theory, you can just, just you stop back. me. Um, <laughs> really, we look at trying to compete or challenge the sort of established mainstream idea in that you teach them by showing them and they just absorb information. So that's the mainstream idea. Yeah, the yeah. mainstream idea. Yeah. So we've all sat in maths and been like, why am I learning trigonometry? Yeah. And it's really for the exam. Yeah. There's no practical application for it. So if you think about like constructing and building a house, you're not gonna learn that unless you're doing it. So like apprenticeships are really hands-on way to do things. The whole idea being that if we learn by doing and learn the mistakes, it becomes more ingrained. We experience it as we're doing it, so you might identify the need. You might have an activity where learners are constructing a treehouse or something, and they're identifying their need to know how joists work. They might just stick some nails in at odd angles and go, that's not worked. So when you then teach them joints and right angles, it's got a practical application they can see in the real world. So getting into a little more depth with it, there's sort of the cognitive versus social constructivist. One is that you learn the concepts and principles, which is still really important. Mm, that's the cognitive. That's the cognitive part. So still in constructivist. And one of the, the sort of myths or um, misconceptions that sometimes our tutors have or new staff have is that if it's constructivist, we can't teach. They yeah. have to learn by doing. We still need to put stuff in place. Mm. So you still need to, to learn the rules of the land, the law of the land, like basic rules and things you can and can't do in society. We need to expressly put that into them yeah. but they need that to go and become lifelong learners to be successful we don't want to be teaching things to people just for the sake of teaching it so they want them to come up against barriers see how it applies to real life so you know, those concepts and principles are great and they'll be the base layer but seeing how it works in application so you have the one of the key points of the social which is Vygotsky, whereas the cognitive is the Piaget, but those are the theorists. Behind those are the theorists it. behind it. So there's the MKO stands for like the more knowledgeable other. Okay. So in that learning, there might be someone that you can go and ask. Yeah. So rather than just reading a book, learn from somebody. Mm. So the tutor might be the more knowledgeable other. It could be other learners. It could be other people on site. It's really about experiencing as we learn. One of the the basis we start from that if you took the early years curriculum at primary, you know, at sort of, you know, nursery level. Learners are naturally inquisitive, mm. and young people are, and we want to keep them that way by following a constructivist approach, by seeing things, asking questions about it. And the, the, the theory is that if you took a toddler and put them in the woods for you know, a, a year, however that long that takes, through their natural questions and their want, need to explore, they will meet the majority of that curriculum through exploring and asking yeah. questions and it'll lead them down different paths rather than sitting down and saying, you need to know how to count to 10. You need yeah. to have these things. Which is like those Scandinavian nurseries, right? Yeah, um, and a lot of those 
in mainstream education, we quench that desire for knowledge mm. by just teaching them and telling them things. Yeah. And we don't want to tell them, we want them to want to know. Yeah. If we can keep them doing that, I don't think many people come through mainstream education still with that lifelong learner, that desire for, I need this to do this. Yeah. It's very much, I've been taught things by rote. I've learned how to do it because I need to pass my exam with it. Yeah. And then suddenly you're leaving at 16 into the real world with no real world experience. Yeah. So in a nutshell, you know, keeping it as simple as we can, it's about experiencing as you learn and understanding why you need that knowledge and yeah. being able to apply it in the real world around you okay. rather than sitting at a desk, which is why we don't sit at desks. Sit at desks, no. So we mentioned experiential as well, but that is kind of basically part and parcel of constructivism mm. then. Yeah. yeah, it's just that, you know, that you, you see it and you learn it. And it comes back to that question, I remember sitting in maths and going, what am I ever going to use this for? Yeah. Rather than, okay, I have a problem and to solve it, I need some knowledge. Yeah. So we talk a lot about uh, knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. So we put skills, uh, we teach knowledge and skills to learners, but when they apply that in wisdom applications, when they've learned it, yeah. not by repeating it back to us, and I'll talk about that later when we look at how we assess and our, our curriculum model. Yeah. And it, it's really about the zone of proximal development, which is something that's talked about in education a lot. Mm. The idea of it needs to be challenging enough that they're can see the problem and it keeps them engaged, but not so challenging it puts them off. Yeah. And I think the constructivist model keeps them in that zone of proximal development a lot more, yeah. rather than you know, they can see it in application. They're learning something that solves a problem in front of them. Yeah. So the experience is valid, rather than just knowledge floating around that isn't used for anything. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we've done another whole podcast on project-based learning, but how does the constructivism kind of lend itself to the project-based Element of things. It's the idea that sort of following this cycle of a project, they be start with a problem or start with maybe you start with a solution, but you have this wheel that you follow around that keeps going and almost expands out, covering okay. more knowledge. So just the headings we use for that, a starting point might be a driving question, you know, how are we going to do this? Yeah. And rather than telling them, say you're building a treehouse, yeah. um, you've given them some tools and said build this. You've asked them to drive a question. They've thought about their need to know. Yeah. So learners, to begin with, won't be used to the project-based learning wheel. Mm. But by talking them through them, they'll come up against the problems and go, well, how do I attach this bit of wood? Yeah. Now we're dealing with need to know. In the minute, might go to the next section of significant content. Yeah. So what is the wealth of things we need to know? What are the key information we need? They might have a public presentation as the next phase when they share that with other learners. Yeah. Teaching and reteaching. Might have some reflection and revision. So what did work and what didn't work. Yeah. Going through to the in-depth knowledge and inquiry, 21st century skills, student voice, and then back to another driving question. Okay. Now, learners might not meet all the components of that to begin with, but when they've got that skill set, they're kind of ready for anything. Yeah. We want to teach them to come up against a problem in life and have a skill set, a metacognitive process to deal with that problem yeah. that isn't find the information that I've been taught. Mm. It's the, you know, the, the process of learning. So they don't come against a problem in real life, they don't go, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. They know how to find the knowledge. Yeah. And that's why our book ending of our day is so important when we talk about, even if we went on an enrichment trip, at the beginning of the day I'd be asking them, say we go swimming, mm. what do you, what's your swimming ability? What do you know? What do you want to try and do today? And the learner might be like, well, I just want to be able to float on my back. Yeah. That's their target. And at the end of the day, we might ask them to reflect on what did I learn today or what did I do well? Yeah. So it could be a curriculum or a behavioural thing. Yeah. And also what do they what could they do better? Okay. So it could be about the behaviour on the trip, it could be oh, I could have prepped better, I could have applied this knowledge more. Yeah. And just by using those questions and the metacognitive questions a lot, we're equipping them with a skill set to 
overcome problems in life yeah. rather than as a lot of learners leave school and suddenly feel lost. Yeah, not know what to do. We want to you know, equip them with the skills for life, not to complete the school system. Yes. And that's really important to us. That's very important, yeah. Um, in regards to our curriculum, which is pretty bespoke, how, how do we kind of take all these concepts and translate them to a practical application? So I think being outdoors helps us a lot. Um, mm. It's really sort of down to the tutors a lot to be thinking about what problems can we put in front of them? Mm. How can we um, to put it into the practical experiences? So a good example of that, I come back to the house building. You know, if we have said, we'll put this skills knowledge in, we're going to teach how to use a hammer and nail to do these things, we would plan our curriculum around, now they've seen those skills and we've seen them use those skills and knowledge under our guidance. Mm. What problems can we put in the way in a controlled environment that test how well they've turned them into wisdom and application. Yeah. So we put the learners working with different learners, different groups a lot. Mm. We'll use enrichment to draw out those learning and see how assess how well it's gone in. Yeah. So you might be talking about sharing and turn taking a lot and say, right, we're going to a trip to well there's gonna be a zip line. Yeah. Rather than putting in our teaching here, can we sit back and observe? And see how well they So do. a lot of the yeah. team communication is really, really important. Um, we plan comes comes into our curriculum a little bit, but we plan on a termly basis with a topic, mm. and that topic could be anything. So someone might do a topic loosely based on opposites. Now yeah. in that, you can have lots of different projects. There could be a project based on hot and cold, mm. binary numbers, strong and weak for like bridge building activities. Yeah. But that means when we've got to the end of a term, we can review the projects and learn that come out of that topic yeah. and pick an appropriate topic to assess the skills knowledge that have gone in previously, yeah. but work on different curriculum areas that haven't been focused on yet. We use a lot of tool-based learning because we're outdoors all the time. Mm. So we're, we're very much not into worksheets and no. things like that. They should be out applying things. So if we wanted to teach them circumference and things, okay, how, do, how are these pipes going to fit together? Yeah. How are we going to tell another group how to get these pipes to fit together? Yeah. An example of how we get to a problem there is I taught a learner the day radius, um, circumference and diameter. And they're interested to know those facts, but then I refused to give them a tape measure yeah. to solve so they don't have a problem. So they yeah. came up with the idea that actually Lego bricks are universal. Okay. Straight away we can do, we can, we'll have to be, think on our feet and that learner might then say, what does universal mean? Yeah. And their whole day could be filled with sorting things from universal to like varied. Yeah. And that's their learning. Or they then decide that a Lego brick on its end is our universal measurement. Yeah. This pipe is two and a half Lego bricks, Lego bricks in yeah. diameter. And then straight away this, well, how can I use Lego bricks to measure around the outside for circumference? Mm. So they went away and got a long piece of grass. And now this, they marked on it and then measured the Lego bricks. That's so, so clever. It's about just, there's a lot of thinking on our feet. We can put a lot of curriculum in place in the projects we plan. Yeah. But it is very much learner-led. Yeah. So if they are saying, actually, I don't want to do what you've given me today, mm. but I'm going to stick into our EFL headings and go to do some data gathering but on something else, mm. we don't fight that and yeah. say, no, you have to do this. We don't yeah. have lesson objectives. or The whole point is we're putting this activity in front of you what learning can you show mm-hmm. and what skills and knowledge do you need? And the next day we'll go and address those skills and knowledge in the area that interests them and then set them up with some sort of assessment which will test those skills in there. When you say about a termly topic, do the learners get involved in choosing what the next term's one is going to be or is that just the tutors? Absolutely. So to begin, in the end, we'd like learners to be entirely uh, engaging and we'll talk about that more into our curriculum yeah. model, I think. But um, we work on cycles. So for a whole term, they will pick their topic. So, if you, so we're at the end of a term now. 
are curriculum tutors and pastoral tutors. And the groups are made up of a curriculum tutor, a pastoral tutor, and then learning support, one-to-ones yeah. -ones if needed. I've taken the CTs, which is the curriculum tutor and the pastoral tutors, off timetable today, and they are working together to plan their topics. Yeah. They start with... For September. The, yeah, so for September they start with what do we know about our learners? Yeah. Give an hour on that now. Their behaviour, their pastoral needs, their SEND needs, where their curriculum knowledge is. Yeah. And from that they'll pick a topic and plan out what they want to try and teach them, what they want to mm. put in for this term. It could be dinosaurs, it could be working from a, uh, a shared reading book. They'll plan that today, and next week and the last week of term, they'll share that with the learners, okay. talk through the review what they've done this term, the strengths, weaknesses, growths, and say, here's what we want to do next term. What can you see in that for you? Mm. So if they did a strengths and weaknesses topic, someone might go down personal route about you know, their personal strengths and weaknesses and challenges, and they will design their own little projects and topics that shoot off from that. Okay. So in next week's DTT day, which is a day each of our tutor has to kind of like a PPA day to do their planning, they can embellish and go further on that plan they put in today with what each learner will do within it mm. and what targets and outcomes they want. At the beginning of September, we'll have over a half term an opening week where we don't deliver these projects, we just reset around our behaviour expectations. Yeah remind them their strengths and remind them what they'd agreed as their topics yeah. and modify them as we go. So they're very much in control of that. Yeah. And then it gets to the last week of half term and we'll have another review. So in a seven week half term, we have an opening and a closing week and five weeks of delivery. Okay. But in that half term, our CTs will all come off and all the curriculum tutors from across the school have a full day together yeah. to review how it's gone, do some more CPD input from me and our pastoral tutors will similarly meet with Dougie, our pastoral lead. And they'll have that time to upskill and sort of readdress any issues in that next half term. Yeah. And then as that term comes to an end, they'll have that day with their partner again to plan forward. So it's very mobile. Yeah. They'll put together a loose plan today based on the learner's needs and what they want to deliver. And next week, they'll have a lot of the learner input. Yeah. We're able to have that full day to plan for it. So coming back in September, we can review it, make sure they're still keen to yeah. do it. And they, those DTT days are really important. I don't think any other school offers that where a full day to review what's happened that week. Yeah, yeah, that's a big uh, sacrifice in time, isn't it? And it's that open communication. So we talked about a team, team briefing in the morning and team briefing at the end is mm. probably the most important part of the day. Yeah. So if I wanted to quality assure how a group are doing, I would probably, you know, our, our staff arrive at nine, our learners at 10. Mm. I would join that team briefing in the morning where they'd talk about their planning for the day, the activities they were doing, and what the learner was probably going to try and get out of it or yeah. what they might do. And if I saw that was really informed and the LSAs, the learning support assistants were really informed, I probably don't need to go to observe these lessons and projects throughout the day. I can no. see that the core thinking's there and just join at the end of the day and say, how did it go? What did we get out of it? Yeah. So they might they keep a logbook for assessments where they might say, I taught this learner how to use a hammer and nail. They yeah. can do it under supervision. They write it in the logbook. And I might pick it up the next day and say, so today here's an activity where we will not put in skills and knowledge. We'll yeah. just measure what that learner's wisdom application is, yeah. perhaps by getting them to teach another learner. Yeah. And those bits, they really hold it all together. Mm. If in that team briefing there was quite loose, the LSA didn't know what the planning was, they weren't sure about what they were mm. trying to deliver during the day, it might be worth me dropping into those sessions to, to try and support them. Yeah. But in, in theory, that should hold the day together and like bookend it. Yeah. Just the same as our learners having an opening and closing and grounding and yeah, checking. Yeah, they check It's a check chance for yeah. our staff to come together and be like, here's what we're getting out of today. Yeah. Okay. Um, so our curriculum is three stage or phase, isn't it? Um, can you tell us a bit about each of those three stages or phases, whichever you... Yeah, it was quite, it's quite interesting. So I came from, from mainstream, from being head of English mm. uh, and assistant principal in a mainstream school. 
Uh, when I came to interview here, one of the, the tasks was to look at the curriculum assessments and figure out what I do to improve areas, so it was maths or, or English yeah. week in that. When I joined a few months later, they'd actually torn up the whole curriculum and decided to start again. Yeah. So if we start first with the, with the problem they had was that a lot of staff were planning for, right, we're going to have a lesson here on right angles. Yeah. Which is very mainstream and caused a lot of dysregulation in our learners. They yeah. weren't ready for it. They didn't understand the point in it. Yeah. So we developed a, what we call a phase one curriculum, being very trauma-led and pastoral. Mm. Um, this really deals with, rather than tracking it on a national curriculum tiered assessment, it follows a series of headings like knowing myself, knowing others, mm. data and collection, and I'm sure these resources will be available for people to read point, yeah. later. Um, but it's very much, there isn't subtopics in that which are criteria for them to meet. So in yeah. knowing myself, learner might identify I'm quite nervous this activity today because I'm quite scared of water. Yeah. They're showing how unmanaging their emotions works. Yeah. So it deals very much with their pastoral and send need. Mm. And that's worked really well. We've seen learners have massive growth and it's just tracked against themselves there. As they get through that trauma, we then go on to a phase two, which is very much like a mainstream or like a, 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 a key stage two, three curriculum mm. where it has particular topics. We still lead it in project-based learning we can track their individual topics then. Um, we're now trying to address that balance. We've shifted much more towards the pastoral need and done well with the phase one. Now I want to turn the dial and get more of the curriculum content in there. Yeah. But our learners are in mixed age and ability. They stay in their group projects, but one learner might be trying to get know myself, knowing others' tool use out of the day. Mm. Whereas one learner might be actually, we're looking for how his use of right angles here. We've got specific criteria. So we meet the needs of external verifiers like from Ofsted and things like mm. that. We can track their progress a lot more in relation to their expected yeah. age, but we don't uh, assess them on that. And, and it creates a nice balance. So really, phase one can be summed up by, it's really to integrate young people into learning mm. and secure the skills and confidence to start a journey of progress yeah. towards our phase two, which is very much begin building towards understanding the strengths and weaknesses of our learners across the curriculum, help understand the needs to tailor a transition year into our phase three. Yeah. Now our phase three is like an accreditation year, kind yeah. of like a key stage four. Yeah. They would go through a transition year where we would evaluate where they are on their phase one headings, their personal yeah. needs and growth. Their phase two, the learners should be metacognitive. And by that I mean towards the end of phase two, they're able to identify, I don't like English and don't do a lot of it. Yeah. I've excelled in maths and mm. project and tool-based learning, yeah. and my PSHE and SRE learning, all things like that. Mm. But they're able to say, to go to my accreditation year where I want to get these qualifications, I know I've got to top up those English skills in a transition year. And by now they are lifelong learners, they're confident in learning, yeah. they've got past that trauma, and they want to address the gaps because they know they're there for what yeah. their, their outcomes are. Our transition phase, which lasts a year, they stay on there in their groups from phase one and two yeah. for the first half, and then the second half they transition over to our phase three site. Yeah. Uh, so they, they cross that, that boundary into becoming more adult learners. Mm. Our transition can be summed up as linking curriculum to careers and boosting students' confidence into independent lifelong learners. Mm. So we top up phase one and phase two, and secure the understanding and knowledge required to pursue accreditation. And our phase one never goes away. No. So at the end of that transition year, we'd say, here's where our phase two or our national curriculum sort of strengths and weaknesses are. That's banked. We know what they need to do and where their strengths are. Mm. And we go into phase three, which is sort of to furnish our learners with level one accreditation, um, an equivalent in ICT and sciences, 
to achieve accreditation in areas of the learner's strengths, passions and choices for life so they can make the transition into the world of work as confident and valued members of our society. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we're still working on those phase one headings, those knowing myself, understanding others, keeping myself safe, the world around me, yeah. stay there as something prevalent all the way through. And at the moment, with our, our phase three, we're offering, so I'll just go through and uh, some things we do, mm-hmm. all of the learners um, will do sort of um, edit self-functional skills. I was going to say, because if you're offering education at key stage three you've got to do some kind of yeah and yeah. we need to get that accreditation with them so as they go into the phase three they'll get their level one in um, functional skills maths and english and yeah. do some asdan certificate of personal effectiveness which yeah. very much is their learning skills they'll do forest skills level one and um, we also offer all of the learners asdans in food wise expressive arts gardening pshe careers and science yeah and we'll draw out from which ones of those they want to do based on their phase two knowledge yeah and then we offer a range of optionally internally accredited courses. And this will vary. A learner might identify, I want to do a bike mechanics course. Mm. You know, I very much a school member being passionate about English. Yeah. And I, some courses, I want to do less maths and more English. But there yeah. is the 5A to C thing. You must be moderately good at everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I feel personally is why we're not going to create genius and people who are exceptional in their field mm. if we keep... You know, someone that's great at drama or music should predominantly do drama and music yeah. while having the basics Absolutely. and others, yeah. rather than saying, okay, you're up to your C-grade ability in music, we're going to stop doing that yeah, now. Yeah, no, drag your other schools up. To work the yeah. other bits. So the, at the moment, the optionally ones we offer are animal care, environmental studies, computing, land-based sector, personal finance, sports and fitness, and more will be offered based on learners' needs and desires. Yeah. We do... Um, work experience during this phase so yeah. they had a learner who's recently went and worked at a, a bike shop and yeah. he's like building bikes and started to pick out their career path so they don't leave school going great I've got my 5 A to C's now what do I do who am I and what am I doing yeah. and where do I want to go yeah. and I feel when we get there and you know in our grand scheme of things when we, when we take over the world <laughs> with this our learners at, at 16 will be leaving us better equipped to go and pursue valid and fulfilling lives yeah. than, than learners who have been dragged unwillingly through the A to C, you know, five yeah. A to C system, which does work for some learners. It, it worked for me, but for the greater mass of of young people, we think this is a, a better and a better stronger way, way yeah. to go. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just gonna jump back to the second phase because earlier you were saying about not uh, not being a fan of worksheets, which I understand. Mm. But in, and I can see how it's easy to do like practical applications of maths, but in terms of literally reading and writing, like obviously you do need to be able to read and write. How do you guys kind of address that yeah it's something that you need to champion and wherever you work in education you know if Ofsted come to see it's like where is your literacy yeah then where is your numeracy are key parts so and as an ex-English teacher (laughs) it's something that I definitely want to champion so we want people to enjoy reading so we actually employ um, lead uh, literacy and numeracy intervention Mm -hmm. staff who move around the sites we track their literacy and numeracy internally so we use lots of you know um accelerated reader and things like that mm. to get their reading age and numeracy age and then we have specific intervention to move that forward okay. and the idea being they might have some core intervention and by core intervention we mean maths and English mm. they might work on a learner might be, we know they have a necessity to meet their EHCPs to work on the times two table yeah. so we'll put that in the morning in a fun outdoors way maybe yeah. like correcting six for five but counting in twos yeah. anything like that and then look to how in the rest of their day 
do we keep touching on those things? Yeah. So share that, share discussions really yeah, important. Yeah, see, I can understand the numeracy. So literacy, I'm always a bit more... So, yeah, literacy, about, so... Particularly yeah. like handwriting and stuff, right? So handwriting things, we might use... There might be some... It takes some inspiration from some worksheets. We use the resources that are out there, but we would need to find a need for it. Yeah. So if we're writing the rules... So it's of, giving everything a purpose. Yeah, so if we're write, doing hand, handwriting, we know a learner's got that, we've just worked on some joined-up writing, and we're creating a new game. Yeah. And we're saying, this is great, but I'm going to keep forgetting the rules. We need to describe this down. And we write down the rules, yeah. Yeah, it gives the learners ownership of it. Yeah. It was a great project before when learners were wanted to develop their site, and they had a little project to do pick an area that you think your site needs. So yeah. someone wants to have a gym, someone wants a better tools-based learning. When they got there, it was like, yeah, so we can actually do this, but it needs funding, it needs money. Yeah. So they had like a Dragon's Den moment where they came and pitched, <laughs> their, pitched their ideals to That's me, what awesome. they needed. But they had to work out the budgets for it. Yeah. They had to write a letter to me, so emailing. You know, we, The handwriting stuff is important, but we are very much 21st century based. So yeah. We're not actually it, going it's to a key thing. Yeah. I tried to bring education before that there's no point me trying to deliver a curriculum to our learners that suited me as a growing adult. No. Because the future's coming fast and I'm, yeah. I'm outdated now. And actually, how much handwriting do we do as adults now? Not so very much. So what yeah. do these learners need to prepare themselves for the future they're going to have, not the future that I have? Yeah. So it, it's in there and there are elements of it, yeah. but then we'll have, you know, when we do story writing or storytelling, there are certainly ways to, to I say crowbar it in, but it becomes a passion for learners and they want to do it. Yeah. So when it comes to decorating their writing or creating storybooks, or yeah. if they didn't like something, we'll write some rules around it, let's get this agreed, yeah. and they'll identify that, that need themselves. Yeah. Often we find that literacy and numeracy is a weaker point, particularly yeah. for the learners we work with, but as they work through phase two and start identifying real-world applications for mm. it, they're like, actually, I, I don't want to work on my spelling more. So yeah. the learners that move from our phase two to our phase three that were saying, I want to do these courses, and without too much prompting from us, we're like, I know I'm going to have to do a lot more maths than I've previously done to get, to get myself there yeah. to be able to do it. So now they're looking to do those opportunities because yeah. they see it as a barrier to where they yeah. want to get. So it's not necessarily that they love maths all of a sudden, it's just that they go, actually, I know I need yeah. this. So this I... is the path you've laid out for me. Yeah. One of my problems and barriers is my communication skills. Yeah. So please give me the input I need. Whereas, you know, sitting in a school and saying, today I'm going to be writing to persuade. Yeah. I, yes, I enjoyed English as a learner. Lots of our learners will be put off by that. Yeah. But if it's, okay, you want X amount of money to put uh, out build an outdoors gym at the school, <laughs> how are you going to get that? Well, I'll, I'll get Craig and the director to give us some money. Well, how are you going to persuade them? They, okay, well, how, how do I persuade? Show me. So yeah. if they're asking that and they want it, it's a lot easier to, to deliver. Yeah. And that's where we need to look at our skill sets as staff and we'll pass information and say, this learner is now seeking expertise in this area yeah. and if they're near that transition phase they'll be having tutors with specific skills if not we'll do some lots of sharing informations and, and our two uh, intervention staff can move between sites and say I will do some specific work there yeah. and like I referenced earlier we're predominantly trying to meet EHCPs we work yeah. with children with specific learning needs but we want to have a broad and rich curriculum as well yeah. so our phase one all the time we target these needs through little interventions and mm. specific things but we're trying to get them like, a breadth and width of, of the learning as well. That's a nice segue that you've set up for me there because um, you mentioned right at the beginning of the three phases that our first phase is trauma-led. Mm. Um, yeah, what, what does that actually mean? Because obviously lots of... Uh, what are some of the challenges, I think? Because obviously a lot of our learners have had trauma backgrounds or um, have things going on, so what kind of prevents them from accessing education? Yeah, and then, yeah, there's very specific traumas mm. coming you know we have a range of learners um 
we take, and their trauma could just be around education itself. Yeah. Some of them have been out of education for a long time. Yeah. And the, the CN model mainstream does not work for them, so it's switched them off. They've lost that love of learning that could have been nurtured in a different yeah. way. So sometimes it's just showing them that learning can be fun. Yeah. Learning gets you to where you need to be. Yeah. And it's about teasing out that, that, that beginning for them. So that's yeah. where our phase one really works for them when it's go and play, yeah. learn through play. And they will naturally rekindle and find that, well, I need to know this to do this, or we need yeah. rules to do this. And they'll find themselves walking themselves into a desire for more knowledge. Mm. Sometimes there are more specific needs, more specific trauma. And we have our send lead and we do a lot of trauma-informed learning. Mm. Yes, so what's we, yeah, what trauma-informed learning so mean? So we do some, we have... Um, so, uh, External specialists come in and talk to us around that fear around trauma. Mm. We have a lot of, we follow um, PRICE, which is sort of protecting rights in a caring environment. Okay. So looking at what can trigger learners. Yeah. One of the first things we do is build a safe space for them, which lots of learning can come out of. They might yeah. have resources, but it's about making them feel secure. Yeah. And that this is a place where they can dysregulate. Mm. It's not, you can't access education because you can't behave. Yeah. It's right, you are, are a person as we all are, whatever traumas and things mm. which limit you and affect you, let's explore them. Yeah. Let's open them up. Let's make you feel comfortable yeah. with them. Um, so really, yeah. just immerse them in the outdoors is a great way to do that. We've got learners which have a fear of water. Yeah. But now we're like pushing for us. We're like, I want to do my swimming lessons. I want to do this yeah. because they've been out and experienced it. It's about putting in a gentle, supportive, scaffolding curriculum that works at their pace. Yeah. If you're talking to a learner with trauma, around age-related expectation and saying you're, you're 10 years old you should be reading like a 10 year old yeah you're pushing a learner into further trauma yeah you need to let them explore that find that desire to learn it mm. and be open about you know when a learner first comes we allow up to three years to get through our phase one yeah so a learner can come in and be like i hate english or i hate maths or i hate yeah. that and you're, we're not going to do it then yeah and it comes a point where you're sort of sneaking it in yeah but they will find after a while when you review phase one go, I did do that reading. Yeah. I have done that. There is my growth. Mm. Uh, okay, it's about trying to relight that fire of a desire for learning that yeah. is burnt out of them from whatever personal trauma they've gone through or their trauma through education. And part of that as well is our parents will come as traumatised as the learners from fighting for HCPs, fighting against the mainstream system, fighting to be in or out of schools. Yeah. So we need to manage and support our parents as much as we can have a really strong team for reaching out so our pastoral tutors and our send leads will be talking you know communicating home all the time yeah and one of the, the biggest things for us is having parents that you know after a term of being here they talk about you know we've had comments like oh, i've got my son back on there yeah you know they, they've just a different person entirely mm. trauma will close you off from growth from whatever age or trauma happened from whatever it is whether it's mm. educational personal it's hard to, you stay that mental age until yeah. you've explored that trauma. So we're letting learners become confident, safe, until they themselves start turning and addressing these barriers. Yeah. And through, we have um, uh, Daisy, our, our play therapist, who works in-house and draws a lot of that out. Yeah. So the most important thing for us is not to drive the curriculum in that math lesson or that axe-based lesson or woodwork. It's about, are you comfortable in yourself? Yeah. Do, we, do you have a reliable, trusted adult who you can have these safe discussions with and then once that starts coming out and that trust is built, they, they're able to take more challenge. We talk about the zone of proximal development. Then mm. Are they in a, a space where they can be challenged and rather than panicking? So it's about getting them there. Yeah. It's about exploring that trauma with them, working with them so they can say, okay, you put a problem in front of me, I'm okay with that, let's yeah. solve it. And that takes time. 
So new learners coming in will build a safe space, yeah. learn predominantly about knowing themselves and knowing others. So mm. the first target is, can you contribute to, to, to a check-in? Yeah. Can you come in the morning, ground yourself, and find out what grounds you and what doesn't, and talk about, I feel this today. Yeah. So with our staff and our learners, sit, have some circle time in the morning, and we might say, start as simple with, how are you in your body and how are you in your mind? Yeah. And the staff might model that and say, I'm really tired today, so I need people to be a bit careful around me. Mm. And then... The learners start seeing that that's human and that's okay yeah. to admit that fault and, yeah. and weakness. And not everyone's saying, I'm oh, great today, I've had a great day. Yeah, yeah. we're really open and honest about that. Yeah. And then we go, okay, so what can we do today? Yeah. If we can get by the end of the day that you feel better in your body or mind, yeah. that's a win for us. Yeah. And celebrating the wins as much as they can so they can say the pressure is off yeah. until they want to put pressure on themselves. Yeah. And that's the key thing. Whereas, you know, particularly in mainstream, it'll be you need to be here. Mm. You need to be at this point. You need to be in today. Yeah. Um, it's about what does that learner need mm. to start this journey to becoming a lifelong learner and being a valid and uh, happy person in their life. Yeah. And it, you know, that starts small and it starts with our really getting to know our learners well, yeah. building those relationships. And it's all we're interested in to begin with and you find the learners start to lead you into the learning more. Yeah. They start to get, I'm bored with this, I want to go on to do this. Yeah. It's about nurturing them to take the steps themselves. Take the steps themselves, yeah. And you mentioned earlier about not saying to a 10-year-old, you're not really at a 10-year-old level. Mm. So in terms of like tracking progress and milestones, obviously we're not, we're not using kind of um, these external measures of saying this is where they should be. But so how, yeah, how do we track how they're doing without using those kind of external standards? Yeah, so we, when we have the data. We know what their reading age is, what their yeah. numeracy age is, their targets to work through, but it's not shared with the learners until a, a later age. Yeah. It's you know very much a good way to sum it up is we shouldn't particularly on our phase one learners it shouldn't feel like a school yeah it should feel like I talk about that nursery like play school is that yeah. play and learn through that but for us as staff it is a school we do have the assessment tracking so we, yeah. we use it with a software called EFL which works really well for us which mm. is fade to evidence and it just logs where they are so yeah. we can review and say in each curriculum heading where their strengths and weaknesses are what growth they've made and again in phase two that'll be tailored through similar to age-related expectations or like sort of bands and where yeah. they are. But it's about not comparing them to other learners. It's about what's your, what's your growth you made today. Yeah. So our phase one for knowing myself, they might just learn about say something about, I feel hungry today and that made me feel angry. Yeah. That, I'm just, so we log that with that comment and mm. we look at, right, how can we develop that more? How can we start keeping it out? Do they self-regulate? Do they mm. want to with that? So we have the data there to use it. Yeah. Um, it's about how we manage it and use it with the learners. It's not a stick to beat them with. It's no. not the target is to grow every day. Yeah. In some small way. Uh, Do you uh, encourage them to reflect on their progress? Absolutely. So at the end of the end that first week and last week of half terms will be measuring their success, mm. showing them what where, how they've grown. We have reports going to parents and then our parents even where we pick out what's their strongest phase one heading, what's yeah. their area to develop so they can start understanding target setting. Yeah. As we said, you know, in terms of assessing it'll be our version of assessment isn't sitting down for an exam and saying we've seen them do this mm. under tuition let's set up a scenario or a situation a problem where they need that skill we've taught them and see if they can use it yeah. and that forms the body of our assessment it's very much group discussion shared you know, a good example of it was that teach them how to build a house all the skills and knowledge required from it and then we need to an assessment point give them a bunch of tools nails resources mm. to say create something what do you want to do yeah. and assessing how well they've got the skill set to go off and do those things and we celebrate milestones a lot. So we will have, 
rewards, we'll champion you know, strong readers that move forward yeah. in levels and um, throughout the reader, we'll give them rewards of normally buying them more books or <laughs> little reward time. So we, we celebrate the successes rather than targeting what might be perceived as failures or gaps yeah. until they're a lot older and more, more in, you know, into the system we're using. Yeah. So the major thing is just to, to have measurable data to show their growth, yeah. but to not be waving in their faces too much. Yeah. And it depends, as you get through phase two, learners will be, so we have the EFL, our posters for our phase one headings around. And just mm. by having them there, learners will start to say, okay, well, I was digging today and identifying different rock types. This is kind of the explore the world around me and science and data yeah. part. And they start saying, you know, we keep a logbook, a little notebook for our EFL where staff can just jot in, I saw this learner read aloud to another learner today. Yeah. And tutors will re- review that weekly and say, well, that's a bit of growth. Mm. I'm going to log that on our system. Let's address that growth and see where it can go next. Yeah. I'd love to get to the point where learners start to write in those books. Yeah. And learners, so we've, we're really big on building the metacognitive skills. And at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, what are you going to try and get out of today? What are you yeah. doing? And then might try and point towards the EFL heading and say, that I'll be working in that area. And then reviewing at the end of the day. Yeah. So, and even saying, if you say to a learner, what was your success today? What did you learn or what did you do well at this or, or nothing? Mm. Well, then the staff will come and go, well, hang on, I saw you do this today. Yeah. You were presented with a problem and rather than dysregulating, you asked for support. That's yeah. growth. Or you went to a more knowledgeable other, to another learner. Yeah. Or you tried to address it. So by continuously celebrating that success and making them think mm. about, well, how did I turn the dial today? Yeah. Over those half-term bits at the end of the half term we can review and say these are all the things you've learned and grown from yeah and that accelerates the progress learning will snowball if people want to learn yeah and the important thing is to not drive that desire to learn out of learners yeah. by prescribing you know we're going to work, learn with pythagoras today never, never <laughs> unless you're a sort of maths geek never never really did it for anybody no i can't remember anything about pythagoras theorem. No, but, but, but we use them yeah. every day yeah it's about you know figuring them out we've got a learner that as his dysregulation, when he doesn't want to participate, he wants to do tool-based work and repair brooms. Okay. So now he's sending an email across the company, across the sites, for any damaged brooms or tools to be sent yeah. down, and this learner will fix and repair them and do yeah. them up. And this is him not wanting to take part in learning. Yeah. But he's using tool-based, he's using maths, he's using emails, he's using communication. Yeah. You know, and he, that learner himself, outside of school, is now, he has his, his gumball machine business where he's oh, really? got gumball machines in various shops around where he lives and he goes and fills them up and tops them up and he uses reward money to buy sweets. Yeah. Which we weren't keen on, we went, oh, they're for the gumball machine. So in terms of enterprise, yeah, that's amazing. this learner's going. So when it comes yeah. to building our allotment down here and having market gardens and stuff, yeah. this is what I mean, right? it snowballs and it runs, the learners run away from us and they're learning and yeah. we have to keep up. And that's when it, we have to be comfortable with staff with allowing that. So yeah. we have to change mindsets as well. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's probably a massive part of the... Uh part of the uh, challenge is to it's it's when the biggest challenge is some suddenly keeping up when a learner goes in a direction but if, you, if, you're, if your challenge is that you can't keep up with the learner's desire that's for, for, for knowledge then they are through their learning yes. trauma and, and, and yeah this that's why we very much hire the personal qualification yeah but we will we'll train as we meet need mm. um yeah that's what we do here for for staff and learners. we meet the needs to allow them to spread their own wings yeah that's a nice phrase. <laughs> um, we've mentioned it a few times, but how, like, just a little bit more about why it's so important that we deliver our education outside. What's the outdoor element kind of um, bring to it that wouldn't happen if you were inside? There are so many things about the outdoors which, you know, you could talk about grounding, mm. just being in nature. We've There's so much study about, you know, if you're living in a, a concrete jungle and high-rise flats around that, you're not in, in touch with nature. So that in itself 
is amazing. Yeah. The resilience, I mean, we really only close if the wind speeds are too high for it to mm. be safe to be in the woods. So you're definitely building some resilience, some, you know, yeah. we're always naturally learning about the world around us, which is important to us with our forest school elements. So learning about plants, wildlife, mm. caring for nature, which we know is so important for the environment, yeah. but isn't perhaps finding its importance in mainstream education because yeah. getting those five A to C's is the be all and end all. So we want people to know the world around them. We want them to respect and, and care for the world around us. And that in itself is, is huge. Mm. But by trying to deliver maths, tool-based learning, PSHE, you know, English, whatever it is, by doing it in the outdoor environment, we're having to translate known and established teaching principles into different ways of doing it. Like I talked about measuring which pipes would fit by using a long piece of grass to mm. go around it. That adaptability is what creates that independent metacognition, that lifelong skill. Mm. So it's a challenge for us as teachers. Okay, we want to teach a specific thing today, but we're in the woods and it's chucking it down. So we've got to think on our feet. Yeah. But it engages them to be living in the world that is around them. Yeah. And at the same time, that adaptability. Yeah. Uh, and it means they'll just be more in touch with nature as they go. And, and there's so much we can learn from nature, which we, we, we've lost touch with, really. Mm. Um, so that's really our main thinking behind it. And, you know, I've always said... My favourite thing about education or teaching was that you never know what's going to happen in a day with, with young people. And then my least favourite thing was you never know what's going to happen in a day with young people. <laughs> you have to times that by 100 at, 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 at the outdoor school. <laughs> so, you know, you might aim to do something and then learning, more learning will naturally creep in. So learners, you know, had a bit of a heat wave mm. and we got one day of rain. And you could just pose the question and go, when we come back on Monday, how's this going to be different? Yeah. And you're talking about grass growth, measuring water, We've got, luckily at this site we're at today, we have a running stream through the middle of it. Mm. So it helps them to respect and understand the world around them, but also teach them to adapt learning in the real world. Yeah. And that's when we get to our phase three, we have more of an indoor base mm. and an outdoor base. So they can apply some of that academic parts if that's where the path takes them. Yeah. But cooking for themselves on the open fires, mm. budgeting, resourcing. If you're doing these things outdoors, I mean, there's nothing you can do indoors that you can't do outdoors. Yeah. There is so much outdoors that you can't do indoors. Indoors, yeah. And that for us is everything, particularly around our enrichment programme. So groups will go out one day a week mm. and go and do maybe skills-based enrichment like cycling or climbing or swimming, like maybe walks on Dartmoor, mm. um, around botanical gardens. And there is a wealth of knowledge. It's almost on some days we don't need to plan for that because all oh, that learner's been interested in that tree. Right, I'm going to teach them the three different types of beech yeah. tree here to look at. Let's do some leafy, you know. Uh, everything gets stronger when you do it outdoors and it embeds more the learners are engaged and yeah, I, I, you know, as an outdoorsy person I would never go back to the mainstream education yeah. model for various reasons around education but the more time I can spend outdoors the better and I think it's just a healthy way for our learners to engage yeah. in the world around them Awesome um, I know you're super busy is there anything else about the curriculum in particular that you wanted to tell us today before we finish or do you think we've covered it all? Uh, I think I've probably covered quite a lot there yeah. today. I think, yeah, just a bit more on the enrichment that one of our tutors kind of hit on the head that all the skills and knowledge we put in during the week, the enrichment day when they go out to do things is where we see it being applied yeah. in the real world. I mean, we were out the other day and, and you know, you're engaging with the public. Yeah. There's trips when we've gone to the world, you know, world food markets and then cooked different recipes mm. for the week. We've got the train in. Yeah. It's a really a chance to say go out to the real world under our safe guidance mm. and show us how you interact with it. Yeah. 
and so much more comes out of it. You can sit back and draw out the learning that's happened mm. at the same time as doing things like taking a disadvantaged learner who's never owned a bike before mountain biking. And, you know, within a day they've learned to ride a bike. And yeah. Watching that is hugely rewarding. Yeah. And then they're, they're just, you know, just really banking on those trips. And we want to grow our enrichment more. We want, we want to go more, more sort of camping trips, getting out yeah. in the world. That in touch with nature, which the world is losing, is what we do. And it's, it's why I'd, I'd never go back to what I did before. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thanks so much for your time today, Craig. Um, I'm just going to ask everyone, well, there's only you here, but I mean, I have been asking everyone these three questions to finish. Um, and we mentioned this earlier, but how do you relax? Um, I think that's something I'm really having to work on because I, I think enjoying this job so much, it, it becomes a bit of a 24-7 thing for yeah. me. Um, Live, breathe, sleep, the outdoors. Yeah, really, really do. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I like the outdoors as well. So I, I climb, uh, I swim, I try and keep fit and healthy, going out walking a lot. Um, yeah, those are the main things for me it's yeah. taking that, that physical activity and using that to ground myself yeah. and I've learned so much about myself and my needs through helping meet the needs of these young yeah. people so yeah, I like to read I like to go out and climb and cycle Yeah, because yeah, I'm very much an outdoorsy person so but then the odd Sunday where it's just coffee and books in bed all day and, and, and doing nothing but really as much sport as I can get into as much sport as you can um, and talking about books what are you reading right now? Uh, at the moment, I'm reading a book by Nick Harkaway called The Gone Away World. Okay. Uh, I into a lot of fiction, sort of quite escapist, a lot, yeah. a lot of Terry Pratchett, sort of inspired, stuff like that. Nice. So yeah, that, that's a book I'm really enjoying at the moment. I'd recommend that to anybody. Okay, awesome. And uh, anything you're listening to? Music or podcast? Uh, music podcast. At the moment, I listen to, uh, there's a podcast called Tailenders, uh, which about cricket, which being, <laughs> uh, that, that Ash is on at the moment, is holding a lot of my attention. Okay. Um, uh, musically, I'm quite quite eclectic, so yeah, a bit of whatever comes my way, just to help me ground myself. Yeah, fair enough. And finally, why is being outdoors important to you? I think for me, growing up on a farm and then going into education and feeling quite trapped indoors, mm. it's like I said with the learner, it's that grounding experience. It's learning about the world around me. Mm. It's being immersed in the part of the world that I want us to reclaim. Yeah, and and learning so much from it. Um, I think that, that that's it for me. It, it gives me space to breathe. And particularly as quite a hyperactive person, that space to move yeah. is really, really important. If you, you know, I've I had a whole cupboard wardrobe full of suits and ties for my last job, which I've never been happier throwing them away. <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of like the noose is off when, when we're outdoors. Yeah. It's kind of like being let off the leash. So it's important for me. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Craig. Thank you. A massive thank you to Craig for joining me to talk about the curriculum that we use at the outdoor school and uh, taking the kind of philosophical conversations that we've had previously and explaining to us how they kind of work in a practical application. Really hope that you enjoyed listening to that episode. Um, If you did, please do like the podcast, subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends just so that more people can find us. We'll be back for the final episode of this series in a fortnight. Uh, Until then, thanks for listening.